these cookies. It's like the best cookie place. It's the best like baked like place. It's the best bakery, you know. And I want to introduce you. Uh, you're the owner. What, what is your title here? Because it looks like you're the face, the owner, the baker, the yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that everything. And do I call you Aunt Kelly? What, what do I call you? I didn't get you. Aunt Kelly. All right. This is Aunt Kelly, folks. Hi. Cats and kittens, boys and girls. So I, I'm doing this um, podcast here where I'm talking with different people who are artists um, in some way, shape, or form. And I think like food is a type of art, especially oh, definitely. here in Baltimore. Like, you know, you want to go there. Like, hey, I want a slice of pie. It's like, I'm going to go to this place. I want some cookies. I want to go to this place. <laughs> it's like, I like variety. I like those options. So I look at what you do here as a folk vibe. So can you tell us a little bit about the story of like how you got involved and why, why baking? Why baking in Baltimore? Okay, so it all originated. I'm a Baltimorean, Ooh. so of course, I love butter crunch cookies. You know, we grew up in the school system eating the butter crunch cookies, chocolate milk, lunchtime. Okay, yes. fast forward to let's say 20 years ago. I was searching for that butter crunch taste that I remember from back in the early 80s and I just wasn't getting it. So I uh, spoke with my grandmother. She was an excellent baker. She gave me a couple of recipes, fiddled around with it, got our signature butter crunch cookies. So I didn't do anything with it. I sat on it for a little over 20 years, just giving it out to my family, um, friends, customers, because I was in a whole nother field. Yes until I started teaching at a cosmetology school. I would give them to my students, and next thing you know, they're like, Miss Kelly, you need to sell these. Miss Kelly, you, I'll buy them, I'll buy them. And then yeah. I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, you can buy them. And then there it is, it was born right there. Gotta supply that the demand. Definitely. So you mentioned like Buttercrunch being a main thing, and it was just that one brand, it was that one brand. Mm -hmm. Like, you can tell the difference, I think, between like something that's mass produced and a brand, whereas well, what you have here, it, it literally, there, there is art that goes into it. It's like, you can taste quality, but you can taste quality ingredients. Yes. And it's just like, all right, this was baked. It's not some <laughs> cookie cut, literally cookie cutter thing. <laughs> right. Because I, I came down yesterday and I got probably a dozen. That's like my standing order now. It's like I go there, get a dozen a week, <laughs> then do extra minutes on the bike because they're, they're the go. good, it's the good stuff. The sugar is. the butter is the good stuff. Um, for someone that's in Baltimore who wants to be in, involved in maybe opening up a business or doing something that's creative that may involve food or may involve art, what advice would you give them? First thing you're going to have to do, give it away. Okay. That is the advice that I heard and it holds true. You have to give it away. You give it away, get people's take on it, how they like it, what you need to improve on, do you got a wow factor yeah. product. You learn all of that first by giving it away. Okay. It's, a, it's, like, it's like a focus group, you know, it's, you gotta spend money to make money. And I think like people get confused with it. Like what I do, I podcast and it's a, it's a free thing. I just throw it out there. And, you have these like conversations with people who are business owners and who are uh, just mentors in that way. And they say, oh, you gotta make money from it. And it's like, no, how do people know what it is first? So I, I definitely agree with that notion. I, I, I hear you on that. You can be money focused. You have to be product and quality focused. And then the money will follow. Yes. 
But when it happens, when you start chasing the money, the product <laughs> suffers, and then you have no more money because you're closed down. Yes. So you, you touched on earlier the butter crunch. It was the. It's kind of, it kind of reminded me of this quote. I think it was from Toni Morrison. It's just like if there's not something that's written that you want to read, you should write it. Ooh, yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, I'm not seeing what I want. You know, I'm gonna make my own. Exactly. That's that's a really good approach. Um, so what would you say your maybe your biggest win has been like since you've been in this space? How long have you been in this space? I've been here for nine months now. Yeah. So we haven't made our year mark yet. Oh, yeah, the biggest win, um, I would say uh, everyone who comes through the door is a win, you know, that hasn't heard of me uh, before, but someone shared a cookie or word of mouth or I kept seeing this on Instagram yeah. and they actually come in. That's a humongous win because you never know how people will take to your the food that you offer. Yes. Everyone's taste buds is different, you know. I find myself to be a foodie. I don't eat from a lot of people, places, you know, so I'm particular. I don't eat everybody's potato salad, you know, that kind oh, of thing. Oh, no, mac and cheese, potato salad, no, mm-mm, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm just so um, overjoyed. That's the word I, I'm going to use and I'm going to stick by. I'm overjoyed by the response that I'm getting from everyone. I love it. It's great. Uh, we're going to wrap up in a few, uh, just a few more questions uh, that I wanted to ask. As far as like picking out like flavors, right? Like one of the places that I like a lot is Donut Location. We talked about it, I think previously. And yes. he's a mad person when it comes to flavors. I actually pitched him some flavors. What goes into you coming up with your flavors and what you're going to have to to put out there? Like, is it hey, I got ten like different flavor types I want to try, and it, I might trim that down to six? So how does that work as far as your process and coming up with what your cooking that you would be? Well, I'm old school. Okay. And like I said, I grew up with my grandmother. I was under her hip in the kitchen, you know, licking the spatula from all the batters. Yes, grandma's child. Um, I like to stick to the traditional. Okay. You know, they're the classics, the favorites. Yes. That's what I stick to. Now, I might veer off a little bit, but as far as giving a, a whole bunch of quantity, that's not my focus, quality. So just a, a handful of cookies. We'll interchange some of them um, during the seasons, you know, like Fridays. I say it's peanut butter Fridays. We'll offer peanut butter cookies on Fridays. That's you know, <laughs> something like that. We'll do more of that, okay. you know, interchange a couple of cookies on a certain day a week. But um, I never wanted to be the 51 flavors of cookies because I, I think the quality will go down. Uh, I guess last question. Um, as far as what do you have that's that's coming up? Are you into the festival atmosphere? Are you into like just what are your I guess what would be your goals over like the, maybe the next year or two that you would say, okay, I'm moving in the right direction? Uh, my number one goal would be to open up another location. Okay. That's what I'm focusing on for to 2020. Absolutely. 2020. I hear it all the time. I wish you were on the east side. The I wish you were. Vision. That's the 2020 vision, and that's what I'm putting everything into. We gotta have another location. That's great. Um, this has been Rob Lee for MTRTheNetwork.com. I'm here with Aunt Kelly. I'm gonna get probably a dozen these. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this was um, there's truth in this art. And until next time, it's been real. Thank you for having me and thinking of me. I appreciate that. Thank you.
So welcome. Um, I'm Rob Lee um, from mtothernetwork.com, and this is a um, interview I'll be having with um, Chris from Sophomore. Yep. So um, introduce yourself, Sophomore. Let's, let's talk about it. let's talk about the whole the whole thing. Sophomore coffee is it's the it's my place. It's the yeah, place I go to. <laughs> it's my place too. <laughs> Uh, sophomore coffee is a is a dream that eventually turned into a reality, and uh, it's very real every day. <laughs> it's probably the most realest thing I've done my whole entire life. But um, you know, my background's in coffee. I've worked in the coffee industry for at least the past fourteen years or so. Um, like most people in the coffee industry, I kind of stumbled into it as just kind of a job to have on the side uh, while I was in school. And I have this pretty distinctive memories of childhood, and kind of some of my most distinctive memories of childhood are hanging out with my dad on the weekends and getting coffee with him. And both he and I were the only people in our family that drink coffee and I have an older brother and a mom, of course. And um, you know, when you have your one, you're the youngest brother out of two brothers, you're always trying to vibe for attention from your parents. Yeah. Um, particularly your dad, you know, especially when you're growing up. And I remember that was just being our thing. Like we always got coffee and that was our thing. And my coffee is mostly like, you know, cream and sugar and a little bit of, you know, a splash of coffee, but I really fell in love with the routine of it yeah. and kind of the um, the process of putting things together, the process of kind of like tweaking it to your flavor profile. And it kind of started off with that. And then as I was in um, in school, I was just like, you know, like, let me get another job. I was really intimidated by working at Starbucks. It seemed like very, very busy. And I was like, I don't want a job that's busy. I want like a laid back, like easy job. I really wanted to be social. And I think growing up, I didn't really have the, um, the uh, capacity to be social in the way that I always wanted to be. Sure. And so finding a job that kind of um, pushed me to be more social was probably not the forefront of my mindset. Um, I was probably more so interested in meeting girls or something like that. But, um, and also kind of like just learning more about this thing that I was really interested in. So I got a job at this spot down in Annapolis. I pretty much grew up in between DC and Baltimore. Um, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a bit early on in, in my life. Sure. But we got stationed in Maryland, which is um, pretty close to where my parents grew up in New Jersey. And we have family in Philly. We have family down in um, uh, North Carolina also, too. So Maryland was kind of a central central spot. So, yeah, I got the job in, in Annapolis and kind of fast forwarding through the early part of my career because a lot of it was just kind of taking any job that would allow me to basically work and do coffee and really taking any kind of job, any opportunity that came down to it. But eventually I moved into Baltimore. Um, I think it was like my senior year of college and uh, pretty much stayed here up until 2012. But uh, throughout that time period while working in coffee, I opened up uh, my first shop, uh, which kind of goes into the sophomore story. But yeah. the first shop was, um, it still exists, it's called Charmington's over on Howard okay. 26. Yeah. And that was a collective of me and like eight other people that kind of came together to open that up. And in that process, especially now after opening up sophomore, I realized how, how little involved I was. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember doing any of this stuff at all. Um, that was a little more set up for me. Here. <laughs> yeah, essentially I didn't do anything really. I just made coffee. Um, and that, that place I really focused just on, in on the coffee. I was kind of the coffee guy. And you know, it was cool to kind of go through the process of getting something set up from, from nothing essentially and kind of seeing aspects of it. But it kind of left me with the, with the taste in my mouth of kind of like, all right, I'd like to do more. I'd like to have more control, more kind of, um, um, of more of my opinion kind of going into the business decisions and that kind of thing. When you're working with a plus other people, it's really hard to kind of have your voice kind of stand out in that way. So I moved on from that opportunity, kept doing other stuff, and then landed at the Four Seasons down in Baltimore when it first opens. And it helped open up a concept called LaMille. Okay. And LaMille was based in uh, Los Angeles. And I only really note that because that was kind of the turning point in my career where I started taking it seriously. I mean, I had a job at the Four Seasons, I was making a salary. I had been out of school for probably a couple of years at that point. And I graduated in 2008 where the economy just tanked and pretty much everyone was 
either going right back into school or just working the job they were doing while they were in school at the same time. And um, so for me, it was really important because it was the first time I ever had like a legitimate job. Sure. And you know, all throughout going through college, I was always the promise I have to get out of school. You have this job, you have this job. Yeah. And I, I got out of college and I had lost my job essentially, um, which I thought was, you know, almost recession proof and realized that it is not. I, I, I was in a similar thing. I, I think I graduated a year before that. Yeah, yeah. And I go, it's like, oh yeah, chase the dream, man. Wait, pick it fits. Yep. And I, I did that. And I think within like two years, I was like, I'm burnt out. I need to do something creative. I need to switch gears here. Yep. And then thinking like, oh, I'm always going to have this job. Yeah. Hey, we're doing a reduction in force. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. You're like, that's nothing to do with me, right? Like, oh, that does do with me. I'm on that list. Oh, I got it. Like, got actually, it. you're the only person going. I was like, damn. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. At least for well, for us, it was like the whole entire place. It was like half the staff was uh, let go, and then it was a thing where it was like, this didn't really save the company. This gave us like another month. Like the rest of us are losing our jobs in the next month. But through that process is um, how Charmingtons came together. It was like that group of people that were all working together. When that place goes down, we all <clears throat> took all the equipment and moved um, farther north into the city into a more neighborhood spot. And it's still doing great. It's been there for uh, 10 years now, which is pretty wild to say. Um, shiny moment in my in my, my opinion is the fact that Obama visited there back in, um, I wasn't there unfortunately when it happened. I'm really bummed out by that. But I think it was like 2010 or 2011 when he stopped in there and like signed with the chairs and everything. So I still have that underneath my uh, underneath my cap to, to, to be happy about. But um, yeah, so the limo experience for me was really important because it kind of legitimized, you know, what I had been doing kind of casually for a while. Yeah. It gave me a nice salary and it kind of put me, <clears throat> excuse me, it put me in this corporate, you know, world, which I hadn't really ever been in. And uh, that was pretty jaunting in many different ways yeah. um, without really getting too far into that. But that opportunity opened up um, going to L.A. So it's kind of done with that. I was talking to people in L.A. and I was just like, hey, just so you guys know, I'm out of here. This whole thing is crazy. And they were just like, you know, if you want to, we can open up a position for you out here in LA through, you know, with Mill still, um, come on out. And I was like, sure, of course you're gonna do that. Like I'm this <laughs> random kid in Baltimore, you're not gonna do that at all. And um, they called my bluff and they reached out with an offer. I pretty much didn't have a reason to say no. So I decided to move out there completely on a whim. All my family's here on the East Coast. I knew a handful of people in LA. I'd been there maybe once before for a couple of days. So it was really kind of, um, it was really a leap of faith, but it was really kind of based on the fact that at that point I wanted to keep doing what I was doing. Sure. And I was just like, all right, like I'm able to do it in this kind of way and be legitimate in this kind of um, scenario. Let's keep pushing it further and further and further, see how it goes. So did two years in LA, that was amazing. I traveled um, around the country, around the world. Um, definitely took a deep dive into the industry. Definitely like took a deep dive into like, you know, the really heights of the coffee industry for that matter. Just in terms of how serious I was taking it at that time. Um, really enjoyed my experience, but also really missed home. So I didn't think I could come right back to Baltimore. So I decided to sidestep it over to New York, which was another kind of leap of faith and kind of random decision, kind of based on just the fact that I had friends out there, based on the fact that it felt like, you know, close to home and close to the East Coast. I had family in New Jersey, like 30 minutes outside of the city too. So it just felt like, a, like the right move. And that was also crazy and intense. But um, through that experience, I realized uh, what I really wanted to do, which was actually working back in the coffee shop. Um, in LA and in New York, I was doing training and education. So yeah. I was talking to people that worked as baristas and how to make coffee better. I was talking to normal people off the street, how to make coffee better in classes. Yeah. And um, I was going to um, setting up accounts. I was opening up uh, coffee programs, doing all this experience that ended up going right into sophomore. So I opened up, I've opened up probably about 20 plus different coffee programs at this point now. And I've been hands-on with the least like, you know, five to 10 of them, I would say, without really thinking about it. And all that experience was just, you know, really pivotal going into this. 
and it still didn't really get me exactly where I needed to be yeah. to do all of it. Still a lot of it still firsthand, but it gave me a huge head start to kind of get a lot of the um, a lot of the vision of the company down, a lot of the style of the coffee that we make down there down, also the systems and all the things that allow us to make coffee good consistently down too. And all that stuff is really important. It's not as important or flashy as some of the other things, like the way the place looks or the way that you look or the way the place feels and all that kind of stuff. But it takes care of the um, it takes care of the main thing, which is coffee. So when I got back here to Baltimore, I wanted to take a break. Um, I was just ready to take a break after New York. New York yeah. really wiped me out. Um, but it was a cool experience. So definitely hold that hold on to that. Lasted about a year and a half there, which is for me was enough time. Um, people that can last longer than that, I'm really impressed by. It. But I was I was ready to come back home. But I decided to take a break from coffee. I'd just been doing it for so long. I didn't know if I was just doing it, if it was something I actually wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do something in the coffee shop. And I knew I didn't want to do it for somebody else anymore. I knew that it was time to kind of step out on my own. But I also knew that I'm not just going to like step right into that. I need to like get my foundation set back in, in the city and everything like that too. So I started working with my friend Lane Harlan who owns um, uh, WC Harlan, which is a really awesome cocktail bar kind of tucked away in the neighborhood. And then up the, a block away from that is Clavel, which is an amazing Mexican restaurant. So it's a taqueria and a mezcaleria. And I was just like, I can wait on tables. I can do this. It's pretty easy. And all I had known going into it was that like the restaurant was busy. People were saying really great things about it, but I'd never been. So my first day there was the first day in the restaurant in general. And I was just really amazed. It was everything that I learned um, in the fine dining industry when I was out in LA working with the different restaurants and fine dining on that end. But it was the comfort level of Baltimore. So it was like really great food, really um, attentive service, but a really comfortable atmosphere. And that felt to me like exactly what I wanted to have inside of a coffee shop. And I felt like you're always kind of compromising. If you had really good coffee or really good, you know, kind of skills, it was always the really stuffy and kind of like, you know, pretentious. Or if it was like laid back and really easy, it was always just like no one really cared about what you were doing at all. So I wanted something where I could take the best of both worlds in my mind. And um, yeah, I worked there for two years. Lane um, found the property that we're on right now. And um, she was wanting to open up a beer garden and a wine bar, found this amazing property for it and realized there was a space on the other side of the courtyard that was just kind of just sitting there. And she hit me up and was just like, I literally had no idea she was even doing this. And when she asked to talk to me, I thought we were talking about something work related. And she was just like, you, you should be running your own spot. Like you shouldn't be working for me. Um, we have this spot. We're not going to use it in the daytime. It's a perfect space for a coffee shop. And we checked it out and, um, I'm going to breeze through a lot of the build out process. So that was pretty, pretty painful to an extent, but, uh, it took us two years, it took us two years, probably from the first time we set foot on a property. It's opening up the doors and, um, you know, conceptually sophomore started probably, you know, five years ago in my mind. Um, but in terms of what it is right now today, I mean, a lot of that has happened in the past like year, um, definitely in the past six months we've been open now, but yeah, it's really fortunate. I mean, we try to keep things very simple. We try to present things in a very shrimp, simple, straightforward way. Uh, we try to take a lot of focus on coffee and also on service. Yeah. And those are kind of the two pillars of our business is that people feel really good walking into the space. They get something they feel good about and they leave the space feeling great also too. And um, as simple as that sounds, it's uh, it's involved, you know, throughout the whole entire day, it's pretty active um, in terms of the style of service that we give and also in terms of the way we brew our coffee. Um, but our goal is to try to do that as simply as possible make it something that's fun for people to come to and enjoy. Um, or whatever you're trying to get out of it. If you're trying to get in, get out, get a coffee, we can do that. If you're trying to come in and nerd out with us about coffee, we can do that. Um, so really try to make the experience tailored to whoever comes into the door. I mean, it's, it's 
It's a dope location. Like, um, you know, I, as I said before, I, I am a sophomore head. Uh, I'm <laughs> that right now. Yes. Uh, Hashtag sophomore know, heads. Yes. It's, it's every weekend. It's a weekend thing every time. Like, Love it. it. It became part of like what we do because usually, you know, me and my girl, we're over there at our place. We're hanging out. We're going to walk the dog. We're going to yeah. do the whole thing. That's now part of the routine. It's not, are we getting coffee? Like, are we getting sophomore? That's that's what it is for us. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the pluses for me because uh, you know I do one of these podcasts I'm officially black and it's like oh black people don't do this black people don't do this like well that dude looks like me yeah because of the glasses yeah just because of the glasses just because of the glasses and beard so I was like I don't give a shit I'm supporting I'm supporting what happens here. and I appreciate that I think that's super important to me um, I think growing up um, you know I grew up in the suburbs you know I think that there was uh not a lot of representation, you know, growing up on, you know, social, you know, not so, I don't say social media. That wasn't a thing when we were growing up. There was no social media. I'm just straight up media. I mean, the only representation I had growing up was Steve Urkel, which I'm sure you had too with glasses. Yeah. And it's just like, cool, this is all we get, Steve Urkel. That's it. So that's all I get is Steve Urkel. All right. Can I um, be Stefan? <laughs> no, never, never even close to Stefan. Um, and, you know, and now, you know, I look, you know, I look at, uh, you know, a lot of kids and the way that they dress and the way that, um, you know, the representation that, you know, just throughout um, movies and TV shows and music for that matter, too. And it's such more of a range. And I feel like that's something that always happens to, you know, our communities that we tend to get pigeonholed as like, you know, you can only be this thing right here. And everything outside of that means you're trying to be something else or trying to be, you know, somebody else, whatever else might be. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I walk down the street and, you know, I look a certain way and that's just the way it goes. But, you know, for me, I think that... Um, What's really important about it for me is that I do think that there is some merit to that. I mean, we live in a city that is predominantly black yep. and um, a lot of people that come through the doors, you know, it's um, interesting when you work in a space and you're in a city that's predominantly black, but then like your clientele isn't that. Yep. It doesn't. Re it's not representative of the city itself. And you start thinking about, well, I'm like right in the middle of the city. I see black people around me at all times, people of color at all times. and. Um, what about this space makes them not feel like it's okay for them to come into it? So there's not much we can do about that. We're not going to be out on the street pulling people off the corner and like dragging them in there. But get I think here, get your coffee. <laughs> come on in, it's okay, I promise. Um, so we don't do much, we don't do much in, in that regard. But I think we do a lot in terms of when people come into the door, making them feel immediately comfortable, coming out onto their level, and um, not to um, make things seem stupid or try to make you know trying to talk down to people in any yeah. kind of way. And I think that's what happens a lot in coffee shops is that. As you're trying to explain something which is inherently complicated, yep. um, you start to use terminology that seems to be above someone's vernacular, and yep. you start to try to talk. You start to basically talk down to them as you're trying to explain something. And I think it happens to the best people that have the best intentions. But yep. I think that being aware of that and aware of where someone's at, um, taking context clues as you know, someone walks in and you're looking around, and they seem comfortable immediately. Uh -huh. You should kick into the gear to make them feel as, as comfortable as possible. Yep. And I think that. Seeing a person that looks like you on the other side of the counter makes you feel comfortable automatically, you know. So yeah. that's super important to me. But that's just something that I am, you know. So for me, it's it's um it's less of a uh, um the forefront of our mind opening up the shop, but and more so just that's who I am, bringing myself into this experience and showing people that there's many facets to you know being a black person in America, <laughs> or also just you know it's hilarious to me because you know the people who touch the coffee first. They're all people that are black and brown. Yeah. So it's just, <laughs> and then at some point, you know, it kind of strays away from that. But uh, it's, it's, it's a huge conversation in the coffee industry and always has been in terms of on the production level and also on the consumer level too. Yeah. And um, I don't think it's something that's going to change, you know, overnight. But at the same time, I think that um, the more and more we see it, the more visibility that happens and the more comfortable people get with it. I think that the uh, easier it'll be to have those conversations and also to, um, 
maybe eventually I even have the conversation at all. Maybe it's just something that is normal, you know, when it comes down to it. So, but we get a lot of people inside of the shop from all different diversities and backgrounds. And that's something that we are really, I'm personally really happy about is that the room kind of shifts and changes throughout the day pretty quickly. Kind of having a small space allows the room to fill up very quickly and to empty out very quickly too. It, it, was, that, it was that sense of, I go to a lot of different coffee shops mm-hmm. and some more pretentious than others. Sure. And uh, as you remember coming here one, one day and I think it was like maybe one of the first times I've come over here and uh, my girlfriend was just like, I want them to be very successful, but I don't want assholes in there. <laughs> it was that. It was just like, yeah. uh, but it, it, and it's and it's not that. There's no there's no assholes in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that I run into, like being a person that loves coffee, and I, I have a taste for certain things. Like I know what's crap and what's not. Totally. And I, like this morning, I was introduced to a crap. I was like, yeah, I got some coffee. This was like, this is gabosh. And and it's like, I appreciate the notion. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you drink this, right? It's like, just because it's hot and black doesn't mean I like it. It's like, yo. I it's crazy something. though. I mean, there's, there, there, there's such a range. And that's what's been interesting for me just as someone that's worked in coffee for 14 years. It's like, you know, I've seen people, what I, what I consider to be the most vulnerable time of the day in the morning before they've had coffee. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's every range. You know, you have people that could not care less like you said, it's hot, it's black. Dunk it, please. Yeah, let it rip. Let's go for it. And there's people that are like very particular about it too. And not even to the extent of like, I need to have the most like expensive coffee in the world. It's particular in terms of like what exactly they want. I mean, I'm infinitely impressed by walking into a Starbucks and have, hearing someone say, okay, I want this, this size, this many pumps, that much caffeine, this and that. Yeah, they, And they like engineered like, you know, this drink that's specifically tailored towards them. And that's something I think is really, um, amongst other things, really unique and really special about Starbucks. And I know it's not... A typical thing you think someone in my field is going to say, but you know they've done a lot for our industry. They set the standard. They created um, the clientele that we would deal with every single day now, and they made it um, something that people think about. You know, yeah. they're not just consuming it; they're thinking about what they're consuming. And I think that that's an overall change across the board in the culinary field. But particularly for coffee, it's still like it could go either way. I think that's the same with food in general, yeah. though. You know, me personally, like I love to eat, I love food, I love drinking. I don't want to consume anything that isn't great you know but sometimes i do obviously yeah. um but i'm i'm in that person i will probably go out of my way to get something that tastes really good you know but um I, I'm, the, I'm the same way like it's, it's it's a quality thing where it's just like is this good i don't care about the price no. and generally speaking when i run into like something i'll go i'll get like coffee i'll get uh, maybe a pizza that's just like get this 30 dollar pizza it's yeah like, Nah, pizza doesn't cost that much. It's like, well, the one that I'm having does. Would you yeah. like a slice? Or uh, would you like would you like some of this coffee? Or whatever the case is, I know what I like. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm going to have to taste this. And I hate, because I, I still have coffee in the house right now. It's, it's uh, I think it was like some espresso or something. Okay. And I was like, it's just not it. I don't want to pitch this. This is not good. I'm going to pitch this. <laughs> and I don't want to sully a better, yeah. <laughs> a freaking better bean. Yeah. Um, and be- before we wrap up, because I don't want to hold you too much long because you're a busy coffee guy. Coffee. Coffee's not going to make itself. Um, so just two last questions. Um, you kind of touched on it be- before, but why Baltimore? Why open up a, a shop in Baltimore? We're, we're horrible here. We're <laughs> yeah, scary. It's, uh, there's a lot of rats. I mean, just coming into the room, we had to cross about uh, 10 trains of rats coming down the street. Yes. Um, for me, Baltimore is my favorite place that I've ever lived, and I haven't lived everywhere, but I've lived at you know enough places to uh, have at least a general opinion about it. But um, I think for me, um, Baltimore represents a lot of things that are really important to me. Um, as much as I can be frustrated with city life at sometimes, I think living in the city is a really important experience. I think being close to people is really important. Um, I think having an understanding of um, 
where different people and how they live yeah. um, is really important too. And I think you get that in the city. You get people that are living well above your means and you have people living well below your means and they're kind of all interacting in a way. And I think that um, Baltimore always represented a city that had that experience but also felt comfortable to me. I remember going into D.C. because I grew up in between the two and never feeling comfortable there. And I remember the first time coming to Baltimore feeling immediately comfortable um, after, you know, some of the shock wore off a little bit. But um, yeah, and I think, you know, I felt like this was a place where, you know, I kind of came up, you know, I didn't grow up in the city per se, but I do feel like I grew up in the city. You know, I got here when I was like 21, <clears throat> 2021 or so. And, uh, you know, you're still growing up. You're still growing up yeah. between, you know, I'm still growing up now, but, you know, very much so between, you know, 20 and like, you know, 30. And that's like a pivotal, you know, time period, you know, particularly when you're figuring out who you are as an individual outside of your family unit. And um, I think I always had, you know, a soft spot for the city because of that. Um, when I left Baltimore, it wasn't because I wanted to, it was because I wanted to learn. And yeah. I knew that, Unfortunately, at that time period, I wasn't going to be able to learn what I wanted to learn in the city. Yeah. But I always left with the intention of coming back. And, you know, family's here. I have um, such a network of people and friends here that are in my corner. And particularly after going through the experience of opening up a business, yeah. um, even before that, but even after now going through it, I can't imagine doing it without having the network of people around me to support me. And we opened up our doors to a lot of support. And a lot of that was just through the location of where we did it. And also a lot of that was just through a lot of the work that I'd done up until that point, just in this one place. And um, so for me, it was really important to come back here. I mean, I think that when I was even in New York, my, my boss there was like, why don't you do it here in New York? Cause like, no one's gonna care if I do it here in New York. And that's the thing, people really, people really care about things you do here in Baltimore. Yeah. And people really appreciate um, people that establish themselves here in the city also too. And businesses that decide to stay here and decide to create jobs for people and try to, you know, try to make the place a little bit better for the people in their communities. And I just felt like this was a city where I can make a difference. And at the same time, this is a city where I can feel anonymous if I want to, you know? Yeah. And you can kind of get both aspects of that yeah. in the city. Um, and I haven't really felt that in any other place I've been to. Um, and so it was really important for me to come back here to do that. I dig that. And lastly, last question. This is the ball buster question. Oh, here we go. So, actually, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if someone wanted to get involved, because I think you, you kind of touched on something that I run into all the time, like, Man, you drink you drink that jet fuel. You drink this. It's just like I think it's at least in the conversation I have. Yeah. Specifically with people that kind of look like me, there's sure. a, there's a fair amount of I don't know what this is. Ergo, I'm not going to learn about totally. it. Totally. What What would you say like would be an entry point for someone like to just kind of get a little bit more coffee literacy? Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, it's that, that thing that you touched on earlier about like some people may feel like oh. Well, this is complicated. Uh, this is not for me. Yeah. Or, you know, what's, what's that entry point? Because Keurig is not that for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, I mean, if you are really curious about something, I feel like now we live in a time period where information is there if you want it. You know, if you really want to learn about something, like it's there for you, yeah. you know? So obviously the internet is a huge tool and resource that can be a black pit and a black hole. But at the same time, if you have some kind of direction, it can put you in the right, you know, put you in the right place. I really think that going to your local spot is always a place to go to and finding a spot that feels good too. And I think that was something I picked up in New York where it was like, there's this coffee spot that's great. And then two doors down, another coffee spot that's great. And around the corner, another coffee spot that's great. It's like, what, what's drawn people to these different places? And I think that living there is what kind of tapped me into like, you know, things like vibe, vibe and energy and like what you put out there into a space. And I feel like if you find a place where you feel comfortable, that allows you to explore and to let your guard down a little bit. So I think going to a space where you feel comfortable and then letting your guard down a little bit and allowing yourself to kind of explore what's happening there too. Um, but in terms of just like drinking coffee at home, I mean, for me, it's like um, 
I've been getting really into, it just seems kind of weird because it's a little intu a little not intuitive, it's a little bit different than what you would expect from a coffee person, but instant coffee is kind of becoming not a new thing because it's very old, but another <laughs> another aspect of the specialty coffee industry now is instant coffee. And basically taking really good coffee, brewing it well, and extracting it well into this format that can become very, very simple. You literally open up the packet, dump it into water, stirring it up, and you're done. So I think that's really, really great in terms of making things really accessible to people, giving people access to really good coffee, yeah. and also in a very easy format. Because when you start going down the route of like pourovers and French presses and all sort of kind of stuff, people are kind of like glazed over. Like, I'm not doing that. I have a mocha pot and a French press. And that's that's pretty impressive. Most people don't even go <laughs> yeah. down that route at all. I mean, I think Keurig really revolutionized things for people at home because yeah. they're even, I think, even drip coffee. You put people, 10 people in a room with your coffee pot, I bet like half of them don't know how to even use it, you know? So I feel like the Keurig really helped people out at home a lot. And honestly, the Keurig too, that's great. I mean, I think that um, the ease of use and the consistency factor of Keurigs and Espresso is amazing. And the really cool thing is that the patents for a lot of those pods is up now. So a lot of people are actually getting into that market and putting good coffee into that and then trying to, you know, bring people along the way that way too. So... I don't knock anything. I think that whatever you use at home, whatever you feel comfortable with is all good. And there's good ways of um, making coffee in that method. Sure. Even for a Keurig, you know, if you use, you know, filter water versus, you know, tap water, that's yeah. going to change the difference in the flavor. I mean, coffee's mostly water. So if you use better water, it's going to taste better. And that's a really simple thing you can do. Yeah. Um, cleaning your stuff. I mean, come on. Like, clean it. Clean your stuff. <laughs> my, my Mr. Coffee was not clean. I was like, what's this? Are these chips in here? Ew. That's what I mean. Like clean, clean your stuff. Yeah. Things will taste better if you clean it. You clean take your dishes. Your like things. take care of your things. Yeah. So really simple things. But uh, I'm I'm with whatever whatever anybody wants to do. And for me, my perspective now, particularly um, after working in the industry for a while, it's all about getting people to whatever it is that you like. Let's get you there. You know. Yeah. So I think you know finding people that um, are in a place that you feel comfortable with to explore. Um, making the best version of whatever you have around you. Um, and then also, you know, being open to trying new things too. And that's kind of what helped me out a lot, trying something that I didn't really think I was going to like and then finding something I liked about it. Or even just trying something you don't like and knowing that you don't like it. Like and in that way, you're just like, cool, I don't like this at all. I'm done. Checked off. <laughs> Checked off, exactly. But I think just being having a sense of uh, curiosity helps out a lot. Okay. Absolutely. That's that's dope. Uh, socials, address, so people can come over yep, here yep, and yep, listen yep, to this. Yep, 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 yep. Sophomore Coffee, we're on the corner of uh, Maryland Avenue and 23rd Street. So our physical address is 2223 Maryland Avenue. We're down the stairs. Don't be scared. Come on down. Big blue door. Big old coffee sign on the side too. And um, we're uh, on the property along with our friends uh, Larder, which is a daytime cafe. They're open um, for lunch and they do dinner on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. And Faden Sonnen, which is a beer garden and wine bar. Um, oh yeah. And they are um, putting out really good products, both those two um, other companies. And we're really happy to be involved with everybody here. And we're situated in the beautiful, historic Old Goucher neighborhood. Um, which doesn't get a lot of love, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's been exciting being here and being around you know being amongst people, being in a new neighborhood too that hasn't really gotten a lot of press or a lot of shine and um, or a lot of attention really, um, and trying to create something for people that uh, live in this neighborhood and also attracting people from outside of the neighborhood yeah. into this neighborhood too to get an idea of what it's all about. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me pretty much every day. Okay, that's wonderful. Right on, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, this has been great. Um, hope you guys learned something. Some coffee? I hope so. If not, come on through to the shop. We'll yeah, teach just, you some more. Just hang out. Just have a, have a swig. <laughs> yeah, just, just a swig. We won't bite you, I promise. <laughs> Until next time, this has been Rob Lee for, for Christmas Sophomore. Uh, this is, uh, there's truth in this art. Yeah.